Hi, this is Gina Carruthers with Following Titus 2. Thank you for joining me for this week's podcast. Today is our final lesson in Heroines and Heroes of our growth tracks at Calvary Church that we're sharing with you on Following Titus 2. And our guest speaker is Ashley Moss. Ashley is no stranger uh, behind the pulpit. She speaks to our ladies on a frequent basis, and it is an honor for her to speak to us today about the life of Fanny Crosby. If this devotion blesses you today, I would like to ask you to like it and share it with a friend. We always appreciate that. Now, without further ado, let's get started. Bless today, house sister Ashley Moss teaching. Come, Ashley, and uh, open your heart to the word of the Lord today. I want to start off by thanking Pastor and Sister Carruthers this morning for allowing me to be up here teaching this Growth Track Sunday. Um, I know it is a privilege to be up here, and I do not take that lightly, so thank you. And I'm going to thank my husband, who has spent the last month of me asking him questions and picking his brain. He does this a little more often than I do, so he gets a lot of the technical, how do I transition kind of questions on what I'm doing here. So thank you, Tyler, for encouraging me on all of that. Um, This month we've been talking about heroines and heroes. It's the life and characteristics of historical Christian figures. And this morning I am going to talk about a woman that is um, well known in the Christian realm, and her name is Fanny Crosby. I'm going to jump right in with a short little bio about who she is. Fanny Crosby was born in 1820 in New York. At six weeks old, she became ill, and the inflammation had spread to her eyes. Um, They called the doctor, and the doctor's treatment was to make a mustard ointment and to place it on her eyes. And that is about as horrible as it sounds. I looked it up. I was like, maybe I'm reading that wrong. No, they took mustard. And they took flour and water and they made a paste and they put it on her eyes. Um, It makes me very grateful to live in 2022 where if I have pink eye, they give me drops and it doesn't feel like mustard. Her body did heal, but the treatment left her blind. I know that's not surprising, but the mustard blinded her. Um, Fanny Crosby faced a lot. She faced illness at a young age. Her father died while she was also an infant. So her mother had to go to work um, as a maid to support her family. So she was raised mainly by her grandmother. When she was 12 years old, her mom was able to send her to the New York School of the Blind. And she later became a teacher at that school. And that is where she developed her gift of poetry. Fanny Crosby was writing poetry from a very young age, and we're going to look at that in a minute. But at the time, while she was in school, she really developed that gift and um, found out where her talents like laid. She met her husband while she was at that school. They got married. They only had one child who also died very young. Um, she, this was such a tragedy to Fanny Crosby that we actually don't know anything about this child. She doesn't talk about it. We don't know if it was a boy or a girl. We just know that she was only a mom for a mother of a living child for a short time. Um, late, many years after all of these things had happened, she found out that she could use her poetry to write hymns. And that is what she did. And that's what she is known for in the Christian realm. Fanny Crosby has actually written 6,000 to 9,000 hymns. Um, We don't know the exact number because her publisher asked her to use different pen names because they didn't want people to know that they were getting most of their hymns from the same person. So they had to switch it up by using fake names. 
Whether it was 6,000 or 9,000, I can't even imagine putting out that much content. Um, she was very busy. They said she could write up to seven hymns a day depending on her inspiration at the time. So she wrote hymns. She was invited to travel and speak at various places. Um, and she helped in her local church. Some called her a city missionary because she was always reaching out to those who were needy and poor. Living as a blind woman in the 19th century and being a gifted lyricist would be enough for recognition. But Fanny Crosby, what stood out to me for her was that she lived this strong, positive Christian life in spite of all the obstacles that she faced. And she couldn't have done that without first being a woman who developed habits that caused her to live for God. Um, her habits let her draw closer to God and her habits let God lead her in every area. Someone asked her her writing process because everyone always wants to know how do you do it? How did you get it done? And she said, it may seem a little old fashioned always to begin one's work in prayer, but I never undertake a hymn without first asking the good Lord to be my inspiration in the work that I'm about to do. So this morning, I wanna title my lesson Old-fashioned habits, lessons learned from Fanny Crosby. That quote is one of my favorite ones that she said. It might seem a little old-fashioned. Y'all, she lived in the 1800s. And if at that time they viewed prayer as old-fashioned, all of her habits seemed old-fashioned to them. I can guarantee you that today, if you said these are things I'm going to do, in 2022, they're not going to look at you and say, well, that's modern and up-to-date and new. They're going to also think you're a little old-fashioned too. But these old-fashioned habits are imperative. We have to put them in our lives in order to draw closer to God, in order to let him lead us. And I believe that everybody here, that is our goal. We want to draw closer to God. So I want to talk about a few habits we can instill or strengthen in our lives. The first one is to begin everything with prayer. That's what she said she did. She started everything by praying first. Um, I have been studying the story of Nehemiah this past month, and I'm going to talk a little bit about him throughout my lesson because I've noticed that his habits that he practiced also lined up with the same habits that Fanny Crosby was practicing, and they're the same habits that we need to put in our life as well. Nehemiah is a story about a very strong leader. If you're reading him for like just leadership skills, he's a great one to study. He was able to lead a team of people to rebuild the wall of Jerusalem. Um, I will tell you, he re helped with a team. He was able to rebuild a wall in 52 days. Can you imagine right now if there's a construction project going on in the city? It's not going to be done in 52 days. We're talking less than two months. You're going to brace yourself for road closures. You're going to start practicing detours. You're going to add on extra time for construction or traffic. And then you're going to go, well, we're in this for the next five years, I guess. Um, Tyler told me the other day he saw trailers go up. So he knew that there was going to be some major highway construction in our part of town. And all I could think was, well, great. I'm going to have to, every time I get on 35 now, there's going to just be a backup. And I'm going to have to add 15 minutes to everything that we do now. Um, he built a wall in 52 days. And let me tell you, if you read Nehemiah 3, he built it with people that were not skilled in construction. It said the priests were building the wall. It was everyday people who came together and built a wall. He led a team of inexperienced people to rebuild a wall. And we know that he could not have done that without God's help. Um, in the first three verses of Nehemiah, it says, it sets you up for the story. Some men come to Nehemiah and they're like, hey, bad news. The wall of Jerusalem has been broken down. The gates are destroyed. There's a big problem. And you can see why this would be tragic for a city not to have a wall. This was their protection. 
This is where they would stand and watch and make sure like they saw what was coming. They needed this wall and it was tragic and it was a big deal. But here's what Nehemiah did. Nehemiah 1 and 4 says, As soon as I heard these words, I sat down and I wept and mourned for days. And I continued fasting and praying before the God of heaven. The first thing Nehemiah did was pray. He did not sit down and make a list. And if you're like me, when a problem arises, you get out a piece of paper and you're like, I'm going to list away this problem right now. I can do it. Nehemiah didn't do that. He didn't write out a plan. He didn't say, I know what we can do. He didn't call his friends. He didn't go, hey guys, bad news. The wall fell down. What do you think I should do? And then he didn't join a support group of people who also experience walls falling down in their cities. And none of these things are bad. Okay, it's not bad to make a list. It's not bad to have seek counsel or even join support groups. But what he did first is he went to God in prayer. And that is the habit we have to develop. Um, what I thought was interesting when I was reading Nehemiah is that we don't, he's a cupbearer to the king. Okay, that was his job. Do you know when you find out that he was a cupbearer? At the end of the first chapter. It does not start off as, I, Nehemiah, a cupbearer to the king. He didn't care if we knew who that's who he was at that point of the story. What mattered is we needed to know that he always went to God first. He set up his story where God was first and he was second. These kind of things do not happen without forming a habit of putting him first. Um, then in chapter two of Nehemiah, he goes to the king and the king goes, hey, Nehemiah, you look real sad. I am paraphrasing this, by the way, obviously. Um, he goes to the king and the king goes, you look a little sad. Your countenance has changed. What happened? He fills him in with what had happened. And then he says, well, what do you want? And it says, Nehemiah prayed. Nehemiah didn't tell the king what he wanted yet. First, he prayed. Again, he set it up where Nehemiah always prayed first before he made any decision he prayed. It has to be a habit in our lives to go to him first. When Fanny Crosby said, it might seem a little old-fashioned, it shouldn't be old-fashioned as Christians for us to pray first. That has to be what we naturally do. Um, it's a habit we have to develop. We have to work on that habit. If we look back at verse 4, it says he continued fasting and praying. So Nehemiah was already praying before this happened. He didn't wait for tragedy to strike to go, I should start having a prayer life now. He didn't wait for bad news to go, maybe this should be the time I get, I get it right with God. Nehemiah prayed daily before the bad happened, before the bad news, before the tragedy. He was already praying. If we want to make it a habit to seek God first, we have to be seeking God no matter where we are in our lives. In the good days, the bad days, we have to be seeking him first. Fanny Crosby said that she didn't write a hymn until she went to God first. And she showed this in an example where um, the way, she wasn't writing the music to her hymns. She was writing the lyrics. So composers would come to her and they would play the song and she would come up with the lyrics. Uh, I would like to say that's how the music business worked then. I don't know how the music business works now. That might be how it goes. But at this time, the composer came to her um, on one instance and he said, I have 40 minutes. I have to catch a train. I need a song. Here's the music. And she listened and she said, oh, that sounds like be called Safe in the Arms of Jesus. Then the story says that she went to her room. This guy's on a time schedule. He has 40 minutes. She went to her room and prayed. Then she came out with the lyrics right before it was time to leave. And she wrote the famous song, Safe in the Arms of Jesus, that was actually pl played at a presidential event as well because the lyrics were so good. Many people have used this at funerals. Um, it was a song that was inspired by God. 
Fanny Crosby never let her obligation replace her relationship with God. She never said, oh, this is a hurry. I'll just come up with something on my own. She stuck true to her word that she was going to go to God first. And that's what we need to do. Um, Psalm 63 and 1, I'm going to read out of the King James Version because it sounds so pretty this way. Oh God, thou art my God. Early will I seek thee. Something about when it says, thou art my God. It sounds so poetic and so pretty to say that. It says, early will I seek thee. We know that starting our day with prayer is the best way to start our day. That's not uncommon knowledge. If you can get up first thing in the morning and start your day with prayer, it will go so much better. Just to get your mind straight and focused, knowing that no matter what you're about to face, God's going to go before you. You already spent time with him. And he helps your mind a little bit. I wake up with four kids in the morning. I have to pray first thing in the morning. Y'all, they come in real, they're ready. They have got needs and they have got requests. My husband has been home all week, so he has seen that our mornings start fiery and ferociously. And they're all boys, so there's nothing quiet. There's nothing. Even asking simply, can you make me eggs, is going to be a loud task. Um, start your day early. It's important to do that with prayer. Spend time with him. But what if we read this scripture, as early will I seek thee, not just as a time of day, Early will I seek thee in my problem. Early will I seek thee in my circumstance. What if before, when you get that bad news, you don't go, okay, let me solve it. Let me figure it out. And then we give it to God and go, I can't figure it out. It's your turn. What if we get the news and we go, God first. Early will I seek thee. Instead of making him our last resort, we need to make him our first resort. Seeking him first is only going to help us draw closer to him. The second habit, second old-fashioned habit that we have to do, we've prayed about it. We gave it to God. Now we have to trust God with the answer. Fanny Crosby says, God it will answer your prayers better than you think. His own solution is far better than any we could conceive. I'm going to start off this section by reminding you that his answer will always be better than what we can conceive. Um... The word of God says in Proverbs 3, 5 through 6, we all know this Proverbs. Trust in the Lord with all your heart. Do not lean on your own understanding. In all your ways, acknowledge him and he will make straight your paths. Um, it has to become a habit for us. I can't get that. It has to become a habit for us to trust God with our prayers. We can't pray and give God the answer. Sometimes we like to do that, right? Here's the problem. I've already got the answer. This is how I need you to work. What he wants us to do is to pray and then let him answer it. Let him be God. Let him answer it because it's always going to be better than we can conceive. I'm going to go back to Nehemiah one more time um, in chapter four. He's now building the wall. His team's building the wall. And some people come up to him and they start to taunt him. And it's real childish. If you wanted something fun to read today or this week, read Nehemiah four. They're like just a kind of picking, right? They're like, oh, that wall is really bad. You can set a fox on it and it's going to fall down like real immature taunting, but they're picking on him. And you know, you want to like turn around and be like, ha, God told me to do it. It's going to be fine. Nehemiah didn't respond to him in verse five. It says when they finished their bullying, he stops and he prayed. He said, okay, God, you see this, you see what's going on. I need you to do, I need you to take care of it. And what I love is that verse six, the very next verse, it said, so they built the wall. He didn't even acknowledge his obstacle. He didn't address it. He didn't speak to it. He prayed. He trusted God to handle it. And he resumed his life. 
That is what God needs us to do. We are going to face obstacles and we're going to face problems in our life. He needs us not to address it. It's not our job to take care of it. It's our job to pray, give it to him, and go on. He will answer and he will take care of it. Um, it says, oh, I was listening when that's, when you think about that, it's hard to do right in the moment to think about how can I not address this problem? How can I trust God with it? I was listening to a podcast recently where the lady said that she likes to watch historical movies because she can watch it from a lens where she already knows how that story is going to end. She can be like, it's okay. The war ends. It's okay. Your country's going to be fine. It's okay. I've read the history book. You guys bounce back from this. We have to do that in our own lives. When we come up on a problem, step back, look at what God's brought you through. Look at it from that lens. Be like, remember that mountain? He led me over it. Remember that problem? He's led me, he's led me through it. I've never had to solve it on my own. He takes care of it. When you do that and you find yourself in another obstacle, another hard spot, you can remind yourself of the times he's brought you through it. And it's easier to trust him because he's going to do it again. You just have to remind yourself he will do it again. Um, it says in that Proverbs to not lean on your own understanding. And the reason is, is because our understanding is unreliable. In the moment, we don't know the answer. I don't know the answer because I don't know why I'm going through it. I can't see the other side. So why am I going to trust on what my mind tells me to do? My mind is going to tell me to do what I see in front of me. God's going to answer based off of what he sees at the end. Don't lean on your own understanding. It's when we trust him and we put it in his hands that he is going to direct our paths. All we have to do is trust him and he directs it. That's lifting such a burden off of me. I don't have to solve it. God's going to solve it. I don't have to worry about it. God has it. I don't have to take care of it. He has it under control. And every single time, I'll remind you this, every single time his way will be better than our way. His way always will trump what we think is the right way. We will never be disappointed. So many times in my life when I've tried to take it in my control and I try to solve it, man, I'm, my house, it's lists. I'm like, I got, I got a plan, Tyler. I'm texting at work. I know how we can do it. I know what to solve. And then at the end, when I finally go, okay, I don't, I don't know God. And he comes in and takes care of it. I'm like, why didn't I start there? That's so much better than what I thought. Every time you will not be disappointed when God answers you. We just have to, to trust him. We like, don't view it as God is up there watching you like wallow. He's not, he doesn't want to see you on the ground. He's not trying to kick you when you're down. He's not doing that. All he's doing though, is waiting for you to trust him. Sometimes when we're struggling over and over and over, sometimes we need to step back and say, maybe I haven't given it to God yet. Maybe I just need to hand it to him and be like Nehemiah and go build the wall he told you to build and he'll take care of all the other stuff on the other side. We just have to trust him. The third habit is my giant water bottle, sorry. We've prayed, we are trusting him. Now our third habit that we have to practice is being content. When he gives you the answer, be content with the answer. We talk about contentment a lot because I think it's such a hard one for us to do and it takes so much practice. But let me remind you, Fanny Crosby was blind from six weeks old and she wrote a poem at age eight. At age eight, like she knows her life is different. She knows her friends probably don't have as many boundaries and restrictions as she does because she has to be a little more, she has to be watched a little more closely. She can't see all of that. But she wrote a poem at age eight about being blind and it says, oh, 
what a happy soul I am, although I cannot see. I am resolved that in this world, contented I will be. How many blessings I enjoy that other people don't. To weep and sigh because I am blind, I cannot, nor I won't. An eight-year-old who was blind said, I'm not going to even complain about it. It's fine. I enjoy things that other people don't enjoy. I have blessings other people don't have. I want you to think of an eight-year-old in your mind and imagine <laughs> them lacking something. Would they write that same poem? Would they say, it's all right. It's all right that my friend got that and I didn't get it. Um, she was content. I have an eight-year-old, so this is very easy for me to, to picture here. Um, Philippians 4 and 11, the word of God says about contentment, not that I am speaking of being in need, for I have learned that in whatever situation I am in, to be content. Let me remind you, Paul wrote this while he was in prison. Whatever situation I am in, I will be content. Think about being in prison. Paul was not a criminal. He didn't do anything wrong. He was preaching the gospel. He was in prison because they didn't like what he was preaching. And he said, it's okay. I'm content here. I am fine being in prison. If I was in prison, I don't know if contentment would be on my brain. I wouldn't say I have need of nothing. I would be like, I need a good lawyer is what I'm going to need. But he was content to be there. Um, contentment is something we start at a young age teaching our children. We tell them constantly, be grateful, be happy. It's okay that they have something you don't rejoice with those who rejoice. They'll rejoice with you one day. It's all good. I, again, this is something I probably say on a daily basis with one of my children at all times, be happy, be content. That's not going to always be the same, but we can be happy with our blessings. But contentment isn't a lesson we stop teaching in childhood. It's something we have to continue even into our adulthood. Contentment is a choice. You are not going to wake up one morning and go, you know, I feel like I'm just more content. We have to choose that contentment in our life. We have to choose to be grateful. And that choice of true contentment is not going to be spending all of our time and energy thinking about what we do not have. Contentment is going to come when we just thank God for what we do have. Again, contentment is a choice. In our time and our age that we're in, I feel like contentment is a struggle because we're, it's so easy to compare ourselves to other people. Comparison is the thief of contentment. The moment you start looking at what somebody else has, you will feel ungrateful for what is in your life. We cannot compare it. And if you're in my our mom's group, I apologize because I think we talk about this every single meeting. If social media is stealing your contentment, get off of it. Social media is set up for us to compare. We spend so much time looking at what somebody else has. Their kids look like they're behaved better than mine. They take better vacations than us. Her house is always cleaner than mine. It's this constant comparison and we get off and go, I wish somebody would write that about me. I wish I had that. I wish this. And then we're unhappy. Get off of it if it's causing you to feel that way. I will remind you that what we see on social media, and we say this all the time too, it's a highlight. We are comparing our lives to somebody else's life that doesn't even exist. We saw a moment of their life and we think they have it all together. I promise you, if you see a picture of a mom and she took a picture in her very clean house with all of her children. Behind her, what you don't see is a sink full of dirty dishes and laundry that has to be done. I can guarantee it. I don't take pictures of my kids that are messy parts of the house. I have swept a table clean before and go, go stand in front of that. <laughs> it's a blip, guys. Don't waste your time and be ungrateful and unhappy. It doesn't exist for them either. 
Cheryl said this last week. She said, write down something you're grateful for. Make that a daily habit. When you write it down, it causes you to think. You might think, I'm real content. And then you got your journal and you're like, what am I grateful for today? And sometimes it comes up blank. And it forces you to pause and go, something good has happened today. What is it? Write it down. It'll be great. I recently had to write down um, that I was grateful for a $4 check. We were expecting something different. And we got $4. And I'll tell you, contentment was not my first attitude. Um, <laughs> it was not great. But then I sat down to write my thing. I said, you know what? I'm going to thank you for the small things so that I can be grateful for the big ones. Thank you for $4 today. It bought my Sonic drinks. We have to be grateful even in the small things in our lives. Um, a good practice to do too is it makes your family incredibly awkward. But at dinner time, make your family go around and say what they're grateful for. It causes your kids, it's just a good training habit, right? A habit comes when we do it daily and we do it constantly. Doing that with your kids at home or even just if it's just you and your spouse, be like, before we eat, what's something you're grateful for? And your kids' answers are going to be silly. You know, it might be Legos, it might be toys, but then the next day they can't repeat the same thing and it's going to cause them to go a little bit deeper and dig into a little bit more. But contentment takes practice and it's a choice. Someone asked Fanny Crosby, they went up to her and they said that, you know, she was gifted in all of these areas. We're like, wow, it's so great that you're so gifted. You write hymns, you're a speaker, you do all these things. But don't you wish God gave you sight? Isn't that like a person to come up to you and go, you look like you're doing so well. Let me remind you that you're not. <laughs> Fanny Crosby could have chose like a smart aleck response at that moment, but she didn't. She said, do you know that if birth, at birth, I have been able to make one petition to my creator it would have been that I should have been born blind. That way, when I get to heaven, the first face that shall ever gladden my sight will be that of my savior. What is our obstacle to everybody else? It might be a blessing to us. Don't look at what may be a struggle as just something that God's keeping from you. It may be something God is giving to you. Um, choose to be content. Psalms 23 says, the Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. In the CSB version, it says, the Lord is my shepherd. I have what I need. No matter what the answer to your prayer is, no matter what, if it's yes or if it's no, or if it's completely not what you thought it was going to be, it doesn't matter. You have him. We have everything we need. We have to be content in just that. Everything else he gives us, every other blessing is just extra. If we have him, we're good. Just be content in that fact. Fanny Crosby wrote many hymns, but her favorite one is, of mine is Blessed Assurance. And let me explain why. When I, being 37 is not, I don't feel like it's old. It's not young anymore. I recently saw something that was inviting all the um, young minister's wives somewhere. And it said, I was like, oh, that's me. And it said, age is 35 and younger. And I was like, oh, oh, it's not me anymore. But being 37, I've seen really cool transitions of worship service, how we read the lyrics. I've seen many of them. I spent all of my childhood years reading out of a hymnal, um, and I loved that. My teenage years, we read off of the projector with transparencies. My job was actually to change the transparencies, so I really liked that. I really liked when the preacher would change the lyrics or add in um, another verse, and he would write it in with a marker real quick beforehand, so we'd have some type, some handwritten. It was as hokey as can be, and I loved it. And then now in my adult years, we have beautiful computer graphics, and it's lovely to see. I don't look back on any of them any less or higher than any of them. I have loved all of it. 
But my most nostalgic one is reading out of hymnals. And I do understand it's because it's a childhood memory and most of our nostalgia is rooted in our childhood memories. But there was something about the song leader. Again, it was one person. Usually not the most gifted person either. Who would get up and say, turn to page 172. And I love flipping through the book and we shared it with our neighbors. Even before I could read, I would hold the hymnal proudly. Um, I just, I really liked it. And the song that I always loved when they sang was Blessed Assurance. It's not because the lyrics rang true to me as a child. I was not that deep of a thinker. I was a regular child. I just liked the tune of the song. I liked the melody. And whoever the song leader was at that time always sang it with such conviction. You could not say the word, this is my story, without bellowing out that line. And I will not humiliate my family today and do that for them. But in any other setting, I would definitely sing it. And all of our former youth know that I am not ashamed to sing during a lesson. Um, I always liked it though, and the lyrics are simple. It just says, this is my story, this is my song, praising my Savior all the day long. I know Fanny Crosby wrote 9,000 other hymns, and no, I did not read them all, but this one really stood out to me as a hymn that reflected her life. Through her daily habits, she always went to God first. She, was, uh, she trusted him with the answer, and then she was content in her life. Through those things, her life reflected somebody who praised her savior all the day long. Her life was structured around God. It was God first, then her. It wasn't what she wanted first and then fit God in where he was, where, where he fit. She put him first and then everything else fell into place. She habitually filled her time with him. So what, when we look at this, I wanna ask you, what will your story be? Will your story be one that is filled with praising your savior all the day long? Will it be some, like a story of someone who put God first in everything that they did, who made time for him? I will tell you personally from experience, if we put God first, everything else fits in and makes sense. It's the days where I go, on the days where I feel like I'm too busy, I'm like, oh, you know what? I'm too busy today. I don't have time to wake up and do my devotion. I'm gonna skip it. Those are the days I feel like I am like a chicken with my head cut off. They are scattered and I don't get it all done. But the time when I stop and make time for him, everything else falls into place. Um, a, the studies show that a habit takes two months to form. I was always told 21 days. I'm like, three weeks, I'll have it. I wanted to verify that. They've changed it because science rapidly changes. Now it's two months to form a habit. And that seems like a long time, but I want you to think about your life. How many months you're gonna live? There's 12 in a year. You can do the multiplication of how many you've lived and how many more you probably have, two months is nothing. It's a blip, it's a tiny little bit to form a habit. What will you do with those two months? Will you form habits in the next two months that will draw you closer to him? It'll be worth saying no to yourself a little bit more and yes to him. It'll be worth carving time out for him, clearing your schedule a little bit more and saying yes to him. My generation is really good at filling a calendar. I feel like, especially with kids, we see this free season and we go, oh look, the fall cleared up, I have all this time. And then we naturally go, let's sign our kids up for this program, let's join this club, let's go here. And what if God is saying, stop, I cleared that schedule to make time for me. I made that time in your life so that you can prioritize and put me first. What if we would stop before we signed up for another thing? and said, where is God in our family routine? Where is God in our lives? How do we fit him into our day? It's good to end your day in prayer, but that shouldn't be the only time you, you fit him in when you're tired and stumbling into bed. 
By the time I go to bed, my eyes are like half shut. Tyler was asking me a question last night. He was working on a presentation. He was like, do you have such and such? And I said, I, I can't even process what you're asking me. I have to go to bed. And then this morning he explained it again. I was like, oh yeah, I had that right on my phone. I could have given it to you. My brain is gone. That's not my best. I don't want to give God that little bit of time when I'm like, all right, God, I barely can function. Now let me fit you in. But what if we fit him in first? Imagine two months from now, it'll only be July. It'll still be just as hot as it was yesterday. Don't, uh, today is beautiful. This is not our normal. We know that. Today we walk outside and we're like, it's cool and beautiful. But in July, it's gonna be hot and miserable. We'll, it's, two months is not even a full season. What if we committed two months and said, what am I doing? What habits can I put in my life? What old fashioned habits am I missing or maybe I need to strengthen? Our life then can reflect one of someone who prays their savior all the day long. Fanny Crosby never allowed an obstacle to stop her and never slowed her down. She cranked out seven hymns a day, not on her own skill. She gives it all to God. If you read, if you could go online and look up the story of Fanny Crosby, you'll see time and time again, she turns back to God and everything that she did. Her story wasn't meant to be about her. She always wanted her story to reflect God. And today I want us to think about the habits we can put into our life so that our story too can be one that praises our savior all the day long. I'm gonna ask everybody to stand and we're gonna pray for just a minute here. I want you to reflect on something that you that we talked about today that maybe you need to strengthen. Or maybe you're doing all of these right. Maybe this is something you do naturally and that is awesome. But we can always do better, right? We're never like, we've never arrived. We can always do better. So I want us to take a minute and ask God to show us where we can improve, what we can strengthen, and that so that we can draw closer to him. Thank you, God, for this time together today. God, I am so thankful for your mercy and your kindness and your goodness to us, God. I am so thankful that you're always pulling for us to draw closer to you, that you always wanna walk closer with me, God. And I pray that you keep that at the forefront of my heart, God, that that desire to draw close to you is always there, Lord. God, I pray today that you help us, God, as a, as a church family, Lord, to evaluate and look at our lives and see where we can strengthen, Lord. If we need to put you first, God, I pray that you help us find that time, God. I pray that you help us carve out more time for you, Lord, that we see the value in putting you first and the benefit and the rewards that come from that, Lord. God, if it's that we need to trust you, then God, when we give you our prayers, I pray that you instill confidence in us that you're gonna answer it, Lord, that we can give it to you and we can turn it over to you and know that you're gonna do everything the right way, God. And then no matter what, God, I pray that you help us to be content with that answer, Lord. Let our hearts be glad that we have you. Let our souls be glad and know that you are enough. You are all that we need, God. Everything else is just extra, Lord. Let us be content that we have you, God. Lord, I pray that you help draw us closer, God. Keep pulling us towards you, God. Then give us the desire to put those habits in our lives, Lord, that we can have a stronger relationship with you, that our lives can reflect, God, someone's life who prays and your name all day long, God, whose song sings your name all day long, Lord, that our lives shine bright for you, God, that we are the Christians that we need to be in our society today, God. Thank you, Lord, for what you're gonna do in our lives over these next few months, Jesus. God, thank you for the habits you're gonna instill, God, and strengthen, Lord. We thank you for what you're gonna do in the name of Jesus. Thank you for joining us for this devotion and podcast today. If you enjoyed it, we encourage you to please like it and share it with a friend. Visit us at Following Titus 2 for the latest Bible studies, 
resources, and devotions, and recipes. Don't forget that. Have a great day. God bless you.